I think the thing I'm going to miss about this series is that bumper video. Doesn't it make you want to dance? Yeah. yeah. Thanks for the compliments and the preaching. It was a joke. Um, yeah, I'm going to miss this series. I, lo- I love that. <laughs> so I, didn't, I didn't mean to sound so harsh. Maybe I did. I don't know. But uh, uh, man, it's been a great series talking about the family. When we've looked at different elements of our homes that reflect our personal lives and, and our family's lives as well. We talked about the front door and the importance, especially especially around the holidays, to have healthy boundaries. And in week two, we talked about the children's room and how regardless if you have a house full of kids, you're just in that intense season of parenting. Uh, all of your kids are under the age of 12. I mean, that's pretty intense, right? Or you're an empty nester. Everybody has an opportunity to impact the next generation. And last weekend, we talked about uh, protecting and preserving uh, a couple's intimacy and how often if we don't, we live out of our core fears, which for men is a feeling of weightlessness or worthless that they can't contribute to anything. And for a woman, it's the feeling of invisibility. My husband is not moving to me. He doesn't notice me. He doesn't call me beautiful or lovely. And so today we're going to close out our teaching series uh, by talking about the dining room table and asking the question, what is family? So our, our series verse, I'll read it to you again, comes out of Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 4, where God says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. We said uh, all along throughout this whole series that the big idea is that God's wisdom and understanding and knowledge can help us build rare and beautiful relationships. Now, all of you have come off of Thanksgiving. Uh, Hopefully it was a great Thanksgiving. I had a first Thanksgiving. It was my first vegan Thanksgiving. Yeah, more excitement than our Christmas series. I'm going to talk about veganism more and fall off the stage. Uh, But it was a great experience. When you think of Thanksgiving, you probably think of family. Hopefully, maybe, hopefully. Um, when, when, when When I was growing up, my family instituted a class system. Are you familiar with this? The kids' table and the adult table? Yeah, yeah, I remember... Uh, unfortunately, and God's mercy or sense of humor made me the eldest in my immediate family, but among all the cousins, uh, myself and two or three other cousins were the oldest. And so we had to sit at the kids' table. And so not only did we have to eat our meal before it got cold, we had to make sure my brothers and my other cousins weren't throwing food at each other, snot, went, snot wasn't running down their noses, nobody was falling out of their chairs. It was a mess. I could not wait <clears throat> to get to the adult table. Uh, so one of my aunts or somebody couldn't make it. Thank you for sickness. And so I was 14 or 15, and I was able to sit at the adult table for the very first time. And I found out that adults are boring. Uh, it was the same old stuff about work and business and like, who cares about, you know, I just want the next Nintendo video game. When you think about Thanksgiving, you think about family, you know, your spouse, your kids, your aunts your uncles, maybe your siblings. But Jesus kind of gave us a different definition of family. He actually redefined family in his public ministry. Uh, Jesus was doing ministry uh, like he came to do, like the scripture said he came to do, but his mama wanted to talk to him. And Jesus said something that would have put me on the floor in three seconds flat 
if I said this to my mom, if I had a savior complex. All right, teenage boys never have that, moms, right? So this is what happens. In Matthew 12, verse 46 and following, Matthew records this story. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak with him. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside and they want to they talk to you. And, but Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Like if I said that and my mom could hear me, boom, right? You can go find another place to live. I'm not feeding you, right? It, it kind of comes across as a little rude, a little callous. He says, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's not, he's not saying that my mom and my brothers are heathens, uh, but what he's saying is he's, he's telling us how he wants to spend his time, that for him, family are, are comprised of men and women that are following Jesus and on Jesus's mission, that for him, he gives them first and number one priority. Stanley Hauerwas once wrote, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be made part of a new community in which the family is uh, reconstituted. We are all children, but now a community has been established in which we are all called to be parents, brothers, and sisters to and for one another. Now, I'm not going to make you stand up. That's for another series. It's coming. Uh, I'm not going to make you to stand up today, but just go ahead and look around your, your section. We're all creatures of habit, right? We all kind of sit in the same section. Now, if you're new, right, and this is your first Sunday, it's kind of like a church thing. You may not know that, but it, but it, but it happens. So I want to encourage you to look around your section, and on a first-name basis, not your family, because some of you guys are overachievers and you're going to cheat, uh, can you to yourself name, by first name, five, or, five to seven people that are sitting around you? You see, when we, when we come to church, uh, we think that, I love this, you guys are way more interactive than the first service. This is awesome. Um, wow, I need to be careful what I ask you to do. Uh, when we come to church, we think sometimes that we're just worshiping with other, other Christians. We don't know them. They're, they're strangers in the sense that they're not our friends, but, but, but we don't really know them. So if Jesus is redefining the idea of family, Jesus would say, if everybody in this room is following Jesus and on Jesus' mission, we are all family here. Hospitality in the New Testament literally means love of stranger. And hospitality uh, transfers someone that comes to, in this case, RCC for the first time, from a stranger to family. And Paul talks about this in his letter uh, to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians 2.19, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people. You're also members of his household. Family is what God intended the local church to be. So first of all, he talks about who we were, right? In verse 19, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers. See, before you get involved in the local church, right, there's this, if you're new and you would say you're not a believer or maybe you are a believer and you're just kind of checking us out for the first time, uh, admittedly, uh, you learn some Christianese language, right? There's just, like, there's just something happens when you've been involved in the church for a long time. You, you, you say words or phrases in, in different tones that you probably wouldn't say in an, in an aisle at like a Target, right? And so we have to be 
aware of that, that sometimes when a church is overchurched and completely inward focused, we care more about what's in different rooms in the church building or what's on the walls and the people that are actually coming to hear about Jesus. That's why I think Paul pastorally reminds us, that, hey, wait a minute, before you, be, before you came to Christ, before you had a family called the church or the local church, you were an outsider. You didn't know the Christian language. You didn't know what to wear, what not to wear, what to say, you know, who was, who was friendly and, and, and who kind of had, you know, other intentions or other uh, motives towards you. See, in the first century after the crucifixion and the resurrection, the early church was comprised largely of Jews. And we don't have time to get into it, but if you read the book of Acts, there's conversation after conversation after conversation about what are we going to do about those people, referring to the Gentiles. You see, the Gentiles weren't people that grew up worshiping the God of Israel. They didn't know the Jewish Hebrew way of addressing God. They didn't know the customs. They didn't know that you know, you are or aren't allowed to bring coffee into our worship center, which you are. My goodness, you are more than welcome to bring coffee into our worship center. And so Paul is instructing the first church like he is with us. Like, don't assume that everybody knows, right, everything here in the room, that there are people here that are interested in following Jesus and that are checking us out for the first time. He says, you were strangers. You didn't know the language of the first church. In the book of Acts, beautifully, you see the church growing and evolving. You say, you know what? The gospel isn't just for one people group. It's for the world. So yes, of course, Gentiles are allowed to come. Of course, men and women are allowed to come and experience Jesus. And then Paul shifts and he talks about, let me tell you about who we are. And in verse 19, he says, we are fellow citizens with God's people and we're also members of his household. So two phrases he kind of, I want to flex out here. First of all, he tells us we're fellow citizens of God's people, and secondly, we're members of God's household. So let's talk about fellow citizens. Um, I, I've, I've been here for about four months, and uh, I'm jealous of a lot of you who have traveled the world and have seen things that hopefully one day that I get to see. I want to tell you about uh, the worst mission trip I ever took as a youth pastor, all right? So put on your helmet. Here we go. Uh, I, was a, I was a student pastor at a church, because where else would you be a student pastor? Uh, but there were uh, four other people on our team. I was sort of the, the head of that team and kind of over the staff and the, um, the interns that we had over the summer. And every year we would take a mission trip and sort of, uh, just to be honest, sometimes we'd do paper, rock, scissors, and whoever lost had to take the kids out of the country. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Kind of. Uh, but one of, the, one of the staff members said, you know, I'll, I'll do it. And I'm like, great, you're young. You're, you know, you're not, you can't, you're not old enough to rent a car. It'll be great. Um, and I found, I found out, and I want to protect and be sensitive to the, to the privacy here, because it was a really difficult time. Uh, he comes into my office. We actually shared an office, but he comes to my office and said, hey, I just want you to know that I'm going to be resigning. So, okay. Well, we're, we're, we're about two weeks out from, from the trip. How do you want to tell families when, when you get back? You know, I'm leaving today. What? What? I was never, you know, I was born a catcher, and I was never good at hitting curveballs. <laughs> but this is the biggest curveball that uh, I'd ever tried to swing at. 
And so I was praying to God, because part of my false self is I want to rescue people, and I want to look good while I rescue people so that I can be the hero and get the praise, just being honest with you. But I, that day I was praying, God, please, I don't want to find my passport. Please let my passport be gone. <laughs> and my wife found it. <laughs> and wouldn't you know, there were three or four months left on it before it was considered invalid. Uh, I had one meeting. I had one meeting with the parents and the students before I left, and I, I did my best. I like to be organized. I like to plan ahead. Oftentimes, I miss people over planning, and, and this is something that God just said, you know, what? I'm going to teach you a lot about who you are and how jacked up you are, and we're going to grow together. So we get, to, we get to Costa Rica. I quickly found out that none of the students were briefed on the fact that you don't put toilet paper down the toilet in, in the slums of a third world country. You don't have air conditioning in the hotel that we stayed at. And by hotel, I mean like shack. Uh, you don't drink the water when someone gives you water. I, I began to get very angry, like, these kids are not ready for this trip. And then at the end of the trip, on our fun day, <laughs> uh, on our fun day, we had three uh, upperclassmen female students who thought it would be a good idea to dress up and go into town to experience the nightlife. I said, ladies, look, look, it, 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 <laughs> men, here are not, men here are not passive, okay? And uh, you are a Caucasian American. All of you look beautiful to them, okay? So, so don't take the compliment so closely to heart. And they, and they fought me on this. Uh, and they fought me on this. Thankfully, I had a type A-driven adult female who was the mother of one of those students that said, Ben, I'll take them into town. So we got back on American soil. And let me tell you something. I had never been so excited to be a citizen of America as when I got back and touched my feet on American soil. Amen. There's nothing like coming home, is there? And Paul says we have citizenship in the kingdom of God. How many of your friends that you interact with this week don't have a citizenship to anywhere, to any religion, any sense of spirituality, let alone Jesus? Paul says Rem remember, remember, because, because new things are exciting, then they become familiar, and familiar things become like things that are scheduled and then mundane and it's raining, now it's snowing, ah, whatever, I'll just stay home, right? And that, that's not a, that's not a, hard, a hard drop, but, but, but I think Paul's saying, remember, your citizenship isn't here, right? It, it, it's a blessing to live in a beautiful country that's America, but your, your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. And there are people that are not yet citizens of Jesus' kingdom. And th this is way more beyond attending a religious service once a week. This is about transforming the culture of our heart as well as the communities that we live in. He says, you are citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world where people are looking to belong. Now, he also says that we're members of God's household. Uh, I had a lot of friends uh, growing up whose parents would create these like house rules that would be in the kitchen or the, you know, the really cute like you know, back, we didn't have the language back then, like, just like from Etsy or something. My family didn't have that. We just yelled until somebody, somebody heard us. But God's family has rules, okay? 
Oh, I, they said this place was about grace. Here come the rules. Yeah, these are good for us. Uh, Jesus' family has rules, and, and here they are. The first one is this, and there are many more, I'm sure. We're related by love. We're related by love. Because Jesus went to the cross for us, we're related because of his sacrifice that he gave on the cross. In 1 John 4, the writer says, Dear friends, let us love one another. This is not a suggestion, it's a command. Uh, because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God because God is love. Now, I want you to think critically. He doesn't say because love is God. There's a lot of people in our culture that think love is the highest form of God. Love is not God. When we, when we begin to worship God, we talked about this a lot uh, last week during sex and intimacy. When we begin to worship love, something that God gives us, we miss a created thing for the creator. He says that God is love, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. Ah, it's annoying, because it's really hard to love the people that you like live with, because they know you. They know your smells. They know when you're ornery. They know when you're, <laughs> a lot of some people, they, they know when you're having a good day. They know when you're having a bad day. Secondly, we are, uh, we are accepted by Jesus' grace. Paul says in Romans 15, 7, accept one another. Then just as, <clears throat> excuse me, Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, here's why I don't like this verse. Because the word accepted means literally to put up with one another, right? Like in my family, when I was growing up and I didn't get along with my brothers, my parents would say, deal with it, figure it out, your family, so oftentimes in the church, we can be so passive-aggressive when people aren't obeying us, but we, but we come across as, here's a suggestion, but we're really saying, I'm a master and I want you to obey me. And when we get involved in a small group and somebody hurts our feelings, it happens, it's messy. Do, do we run? Or do, do we, as Paul says, learn to live with the other person? Right? We talked about this in Boundaries in week one. Are we going to be for the other person or just dip? Man, I, I, I think if we're constantly bouncing around from church to church or faith community to faith community, we're going to miss out on a lot of really good stuff that Jesus has for us. Because notice what he says, put up with each other because Jesus put up with you, right? Even, not, look, big deal, God loves everybody, right? That's not really a, something you should put on Hallmark, but the fact that he walks with you, or we're just saying this, we've never been alone. The fact that he puts up with you, if, the fact that like we, we in, in our minds put like Jesus has this huge standard of holiness, which he does, but he fulfilled that on the cross, that we're constantly like, man, I'm never going to be a good enough follower of Jesus. But that's not what Jesus invites us into. He invites us to walk with him every single day. And if he hasn't given up on us, and if it's a healthy, good thing that honors our boundaries, then we need to stick in, stick in that relationship and be for that other person. Thirdly and finally, I jumped ahead of myself, we need to stick together. There's something beautiful about a marriage that goes 30, 40, 50 years. There's something beautiful about uh, a pastor or a staff that, that stays at the same church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. There's something about friendship and small groups and community that meets over the long haul. That There are things and beautiful rare treasures that we talked about as our verse 
that we don't get to experience because those doors are locked until we've done life with people over the course of a lifetime. See, Jesus says, in my family, we, we, we stick it out. We're for the other person. We're not going to give up on somebody. And it's so easy, right? At least it is for me. It's so easy to be so quick to judge other people. And then, as Jesus says, be careful how you judge people because that's going to come back on you. Then when, when we're in our time of need, we don't have anywhere to go. We don't have anywhere to turn. So how do, how do we stick together as a family? Let me give you three ideas. I'm sure there's more, maybe even better ones. Number one is be aware. Hospitality starts when we're aware that other people are in the room. It took me a while to, to realize that life is not a story about me. When you are a family, you share space, don't you? You step on each other's dirty clothes on the floor. I'll let your imagination wonder. You get mad because someone drank the last of the milk, right? You get frustrated because somebody keeps losing the remote and the couch. That was me, right? Christians share the same space. And it's not something that Jesus says, we walk into each other's spaces and go, oh, that's disgusting. I'm, I'm leaving. You, you, you can enjoy grace on Sunday, but not, not, a, not in a nice small group. Jesus, we need to be aware that hospitality starts when we notice that other people are in the room, right? It's not up to the first time visitor to figure out the Christianese language of the church. It's not, us, it's not up to the first time visitor to know where the restroom is or when to stand or when to sit. It's up to us as a church to be hospitable to our guests so that, our, so that their hearts can find rest in Jesus. I mean, that, that's the whole gig be be behind why we do what we do. We want people to know that this is a space that they can explore the person and work of Jesus. Number three, we need to be inclusive. Hospitality is inclusive. Hospitality extends friendship to people of all races, lifestyles, economic situa situations, and beliefs. I just have this strong belief that you can belong here before you believe. Like, like if, if you don't, you know, like a, a preacher typically says, like, you don't have to have your act together to become a Christian. Well, do you have to have your act together to belong? Because sometimes we judge people, right, based on how they smell on Sunday, the clothes they're wearing, the language they use, the jokes they may or may not make. And, and, and part of being an inclusive church means that anybody who walks through our doors, actually we're going to give them a good shot of listening and hearing the gospel message in hopes that they may follow Jesus one day. Uh, this is a photo of my small group that my wife and I were a part of back at Richwoods uh, before we came and joined you beautiful people. Uh, we were together uh, off and on, meaning my wife and I led the group, but we, um, every year we would raise up leaders in the group, which is what we're going to do here at RCC, and start new groups. Does that make sense? Because if churches only have big holy huddles of 15 people, and there's only so many of them, and they're not reproducing leaders, you will, you will hit a lid and your, your, your services may grow, but the depth of the people in your services won't deepen unless you're, you're developing, okay, that's another, you get it, unless you're developing leadership. In this photo, not everybody is a, is a Christian. Uh, there are some people, and I use this language quite a bit here on the weekends, there are some people in this photo that are absolutely convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Uh, I'm one of them, that shouldn't surprise you, I hope. Uh, but not everybody in this photo is, is uh, convinced. There, there are some people in this photo that are actually, um, I don't know if they would s say they're atheists, but they're very curious. 
about who Jesus is. It's very weird to them that a person would open their home during a weeknight, share a meal with them, and have a conversation about Jesus, particularly the sermon that, we, that our lead pastor preached on. Like that, that was like, who, who does that? Uh, we, 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 we threw wedding uh, or baby showers for the people in our group. And we cried with the people in our group that are even today experiencing uh, infertility. See, Jesus says, this is my family. These are people mixed of uh, curious and convinced people, but are leaning in to who Jesus is. These are people that Jesus says, you need to be for these people. And it's my hope and my prayer as we kick off the new year in January, starting with a series on the importance of getting into a small group or or life group, it's going to be called Circles, that you would actually step into that. That is, that is I, I hope, as beneficial as this service is on the weekends to you, that I hope that it's not enough for you. I really hope that you would decide, uh, whether you're single, married, uh, dating, or whatever, that you would decide, you know what, I need, I need community. I need my family. I need to be part of a small group. I, I, Jesus calls me to be responsible for other people in the church that I attend. I love uh, what Lauren Winter said. She says, we're not... Uh, we are not meant simply to invite people into our homes, but also to invite them into our lives. Having guests and visitors, if we do it right, is not an imposition because we are not meant to rearrange our lives for our guests. We are meant to invite our guests to enter into our lives as they are. This is the hope and the aim that Jesus has when he says, this is my family, men and women from all over following me, trying to figure out what does it look like and what does it mean to be a Jesus follower in 2019, heading in to 2019. A mixed bag of curious and convinced people about who Jesus is. And, and I really, look, I'm not saying this as like a health and wealth preacher. I'm not good looking. My hair isn't that good to be a health and wealth preacher. But, but, but I really believe in the core of my being that RCC is on the precipice of something big. And, and I think that happens when we say yes to letting other people experience Jesus. Where, where we're less critical of the people that come in here, and we just say, here, we, we want you to interact and meet with Jesus, which makes my job, Brian's job, our staff's job, a great joy, but also a lot of pressure because we want to get out of the way because we take very seriously when you're at your jobs, raising your family, hanging out with your friends, and you invite them to RCC, that, that, that's a heavy weight of responsibility on us. Because we want to <laughs> communicate clearly that this is a family that you can belong to before you believe. You can ask your questions. You will be loved. You experience grace, and we will walk with you. This is uh, our house. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for an opportunity to talk about family today. We thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about the dining room table. Um, everybody probably in this room probably thinks that they would, like, looking back, that maybe they're not where they want to be, but they're hopeful that, that they can still grow. And I pray that if that is true, that we would believe that about the people that don't have citizenship yet in the kingdom of God, that aren't yet family members like we are in the kingdom of God, that the only label that we should give people is needs Christ. And I think, Jesus, you treated people not as they were, but the potential of who they could become if they just 
said, yes, I, I'm curious enough that I, I want to follow you. May, may that be said of this house, that we'd be a church, a family, a community that is known for its love, defined by its grace, and its willingness to love and serve other people. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.